0: It's the Pete Callender Show. With more than 20 years as a reporter and radio host in North Carolina, Pete Callender is helping solve the world's problems one podcast at a time because
1: he's a giver. And now, here's Pete. What is going on? Welcome to the show. Thanks so much for listening. I do appreciate it. And uh, remember, you can subscribe at ThePeteCalendarShow.com. Very easy. It's free. Actually, you just click on the button and then it comes right to your smartphone. And I want to thank patrons of the program as well. Folks like uh, Mark and Chris, Trent, Sarah and Barry, Josh, JF, Theodore, Jim, Jonathan and Brian all became patrons. I appreciate uh, y'all support. I really do. Could not do the program without you. And uh, you can become a patron as well. Get exclusive content like tonight. We're going to be doing the live stream. So I uh, hope you can join us for that. Go to the dot com. Click the link that's at the top of the page there and you will get access. Unlike um, gasoline <laughs> over the last few uh, over the last week or so, thanks to the ransomware attack that uh, obviously originated in Russia. I covered this a couple of days ago and uh uh, the hackers that you know held hostage the computers uh and the those the platforms and all of the access that uh from the company that runs the colonial pipeline uh they paid the ransom the colonial pipeline folks paid the ransom the biden administration apparently refuses to um answer whether or not they helped facilitate that payment or not um it uh they obviously are, are uh, Russians and uh, the question there, and I said this last week, which was, uh, I I have no doubt that it is a state-sanctioned uh, effort. I don't think you get to run those kinds of massive operations out of Russia without the Russian government knowing about it. <laughs> and uh, so then they remember they put out this statement, oh, we are so sorry. We only, you know, from now on, we will find more socially responsible targets. <laughs> okay, yeah, whatever. Oh, and then within a couple of days, the Biden administration gives the green light for Russia to build its pipeline to supply uh, Western Europe with its energy needs, which I'm sure that won't be used against them as leverage at any point in the future. What could go wrong? So uh, against this backdrop, and uh, just on a personal note, I was able to find gasoline, got it in Marion. And uh, so it, it is the, the, the gas stations are now being uh, filled up again, and uh, they're being replenished and it's not your imagination. Western North Carolina actually uh, does have this worse than other parts of the state. And there's an explanation for it. And it came out in this hearing, which I thought was pretty interesting. We will get to that. So the Senate um, held a hearing. It's uh, like the Energy Committee, although there's they, they do a bunch of other stuff, too. Um, but they had uh, four guys come in to, uh, to kind of present testimony uh, about the security of the pipelines and uh, this uh, from the ransomware attack. And here is the News and Observer story by Adam Wagner uh, saying that the uh, the ransomware attack and the resulting gas shortages have shown the need for more pipelines and gas storage uh, in the state, according to energy and petroleum industry officials at this North Carolina Senate subcommittee. And uh, so let me see here. I've got Ed Finley who was with the formerly of the Utilities Commission, uh, Nelson Peeler from Duke uh, Energy, Rusty Harris from Dominion Energy, and Daniel McGowan uh, from the American Petroleum Institute. Those were the four witnesses who testified. Um, So, and I've got a couple of audio bites from each of them. Senator Brett Jackson, uh, he issued an opening statement. He's the chairman, one of the chairmen of the committee, and he outlined the purpose of the hearing.
2: The Colonial Pipeline distribution could have been much worse and it's foolish to presume North Carolina would not face a more severe energy supply shock in the future. It could happen next week, next year, next decade, but it's a question of when and not if. There could be another attack and one that digs much deeper into the operational controls of a pipeline. There could be a conventional attack that physically targets our energy infrastructure, or there could be some disruption, the cause of which we can't conceive as we sit here today. The bottom line is we should treat the fallout of the Colonial Pipeline attack as a warning and prepare accordingly. North Carolina relies primarily on one pipeline for liquid fuel, Colonial, and entirely on one pipeline for natural gas, Transco. What happens if one of those pipelines goes down indefinitely? what would it mean for electricity generation if transco goes down during a july heat wave or the next polar event vortex what would happen to manufacturers if their supply of natural gas were cut off
1: okay so two uh, key takeaways here you got one main source for liquid gas and that's like oil right all of the you know Uh, energy in its liquid form. And then there's natural gas in its gas form, natural gas. Um, And so there's one pipeline for that. And both of these were built many, many, many years ago. I think the transcontinental was built, gosh, 60 years ago now. So um, the question that the hearing was designed to kind of focus on is who's responsible for securing our energy supply system? And it seems like, you know, all of the above is the answer when you're listing government and private companies. Um, Ed Finley is the former chairman of the North Carolina Utilities Commission. He was appointed by Democratic governors. He, he held the position from 07 to 2019. So that would have been even through Republican Governor Pat McCrory's term. Um And he outlined uh, the nature of the attack on Colonial Pipeline.
3: Colonial Pipeline uh, transports more than 100 million gallons of fuel daily through a pipeline system spanning more than 5,500 miles. As uh, Chair Jackson said, it is the major pipeline that delivers roughly 45% of all fuel consumed on the East Coast. The attack, of which we are familiar, occurred on Friday, May the 5th, Colonial transports gasoline, diesel, jet fuel, and home heating oil from refineries primarily on the Gulf Coast through pipelines running from Texas to New Jersey. Colonial Pipeline's uh, distribution was a ransomware attack by criminal elements identified as Dark Side. According to an FBI alert, Dark Side gained access to the company through phishing. P-S-I-H-H-I-N-G and exploiting remotely accessible systems as well as a virtual desktop infrastructure. The initial question was whether or not the attack was only to the IT system or whether it was an attack on the, on the uh, pipeline function itself. Attacks on the IT system are, can be rectified much more quickly. Colonial subsequently indicated it indicated and confirmed that the corporate communication system Uh, the computer systems were the targets of the ransomware attack. Colonial reported that it had shut down the pipeline as precaution apparently for fear that hackers might have obtained information that would enable them to attack parts of the pipeline itself. As I understand it, a typical randomware attack, hackers seize data and demand large payments uh, to release it. News reports suggest that Colonial paid the ransomware attackers to enable it to regain control of its system. Ransomware scrambles a victim's organization's data with encryption. The criminals leave instructions on infected computers for how to negotiate the ransom payments. And once paid, provide software decryption keys. Experts are quoted as saying that there are plenty of vulnerabilities lurking throughout America's energy infrastructure.
1: So Finley went on to say also that Um, Only the finance sector and the marketing sector, those industries, only those two sectors are targeted more often than the energy sector is by cyber attacks. Isn't that amazing? Um, The more that the systems get connected online, the more vulnerable they obviously become. And a lot of systems are actually still operating with antiquated technology which can actually insulate them from online attacks but in some cases uh could expose them to more online attacks just it depends on the system and the kind of uh operations that they've got the operating systems that they're running and such uh and how connected they are so there's a lot of you know there there are a lot of moving pieces here and uh the big what uh, sort of was the aha newsworthy piece of information that came out of uh this Hearing, I thought, and apparently most of the news organizations thought, we were all in agreement that North Carolina needs more pipelines. Now, there's another line of thinking here about refineries, and I will get to that uh, in the uh, a- a- after the end or at the end of this, because that's when it came up, uh, along with this question of why is Western North Carolina. Habitually, you know, running out of gas supplies more than the rest of the state whenever there's some sort of weather event. So we'll get to that. Um, Now, if you are looking to get to bed but you can't because your mattress is terrible, well, get a new mattress. Go to Mattress Man, MattressManStores.com. They have four stores in Asheville, Hendersonville, and in Arden, and they have five-star local delivery service. They have nationwide shipping. They have a 120-day comfort guarantee, and they got great deals on fantastic mattresses. So For example, you can get a free box spring uh, with the purchase of a mattress from the Biltmore Collection, inspired by our very own local landmark, and Mattress Man is an exclusive retailer of the Biltmore Collection. Uh, This is made by Restonic, so you get maximum adjustability, you get five support zones for correct spinal alignment, you get optimal balance of pressure point relief and support, but they have all sorts of other mattresses as well. Christy and I, we have a memory foam mattress that we got from Mattress Man years ago, and about nine years ago, and we love it. And when we get into our new house, we anticipate uh, getting another one. Because I remember hearing a long time ago, that's like, your mattress should be replaced after about eight years. And you can really tell, do you know the heavier the mattress gets, then that is indicative of its age, because I know this is going to sound gross, but like, it gets heavier because your dead skin falls into the mattress. (laughs) So, yeah, you got to replace the mattress. Uh, Don't even get me started on the pillows. Okay, mattressmanstores.com. Mattress Man, experience the difference at Mattress Man. Buy local and sleep better. Okay, so uh, next up is Nelson Peeler. He is the Senior Vice President for Transmission and Fuel Strategy and Policy at Duke Energy. He said that the single pipeline uh, is made up of multiple pipes technically.
4: Gas can be sourced from the Gulf, Texas, Gulf area, as well as some from Pennsylvania Shale area as well. Duke Energy's electric generation uh, for natural gas uh, receives all of its gas from this pipeline. There is no other no other gas supply for electric generation uh, in North Carolina.
1: All right. And so what does this mean? Right, what does this mean? The vice president and general manager for gas operations for Dominion Energy is a guy by the name of Rusty Harris.
5: And and as Mr. Peeler mentioned, it, don't think you, you shouldn't really think of it as a single pipe. There are multiple pipelines on there right away. Uh, they routinely are able to take pipelines out of service to to perform maintenance or compressor stations that they have to to work on those. So they, they have a lot of redundancy within their right-of-way of of their facility so it's been a very reliable pipeline for us however it is all on one right-of-way and it is all operated by one company so it you know you're right to to think about or uh, wonder about the vulnerabilities for north carolina by having a single pipeline through here well one thing i would encourage you all to do if you want to get some perspective um, on this you know is we have a large state and we're dependent on this pipeline Go look online or or Google a map of pipelines across the United States and take a look at other states. Take a look at at states of similar size to North Carolina. What you'll see is networks of pipelines uh, that serve those states. And so uh, we are unique uh, in that we have pretty much dependent upon this single pipeline to bring gas into North Carolina.
1: Okay, so they're talking about the natural gas line. This is called the Transco transcontinental the transco pipeline the natural gas line and he says that it's fully subscribed meaning somebody or you know some company owns it at every part of it right they every part of it is owned and is used to move gas wherever those owners need it to go so there isn't any extra availability what should we
5: consider in terms of uh you know how to uh, improve our situation in the future. Certainly the number one thing would be additional pipelines, additional pipelines, uh, uh, would, would you know, make a big difference in, uh, this particular vulnerability, uh, and limit our exposure if, if a single pipeline were to have a major disruption. Um, You know, as in the state of North Carolina, we we have some ability to influence that. But keep in mind, interstate pipelines are federally regulated. And so um, there's a lot of federal oversight of the construction of any interstate pipelines. Which leads me to mention, well, you know, what do we have more direct control of over in the state of North Carolina? One would be on system storage facilities. Uh, So I think in the future that may be something that could help us. Uh, improve our d- diversity of supply and I, I don't think we should discount local supply su- sources specifically renewable natural gas as y'all know we there's some uh, I think of the focus of this committee y'all pretty familiar with the renewable natural gas uh, renewable natural gas is does have the advantage of being a local supply meaning it can be d- injected directly into the distribution companies that serve the state. It's not dependent upon any interstate pipeline to bring it to North Carolina. So I think that's something as well that we could consider in terms of improving our resiliency um, against uh, disruptive events.
1: Okay, so two, so two things, right? Um, more storage facilities, because we don't have sources for natural gas in the state. So you got to have, uh, if you can tap into the existing line, then you can put a bunch of storage facilities along there, so if there is a disruption, then you've got storage. and you can drain off of that you know, in the short term. So more storage facilities. Those take between three to four years to build, he said, from you know, planning and permitting all the way through uh, opening it's three to four years. A pipeline takes about seven. So obviously, if you're looking to do something more quickly, the storage facilities is the way to go, um, short of building a new pipeline, obviously. Uh, so that was the first component uh, that he mentioned. I should also point out that uh, North Carolina did attempt to get a natural gas pipeline. It was the Atlantic Coast Pipeline, and this was the one that the governor uh, attached the slush front, sorry, the investment grant opportunity to, because this is the way... The Democratic machine has operated for so long. It's, you know, hey, you want to do some project here or, hey, you want to settle that lawsuit? Give me a slush fund and I'll control it and I'll dole out the money to, you know, my political benefactors, a.k.a. environmentalist groups. And uh, Republicans were like, that's illegal. You cannot do that. All of this money, it's not from a lawsuit settlement. Uh, so uh, you don't get to control that as uh, the executive branch. All uh, funding like that has to go through the General Assembly. And, uh, and they said that has to actually go by statute. It's got to go to fund schools. And um, that was the fight that they had. The legislature um, came out on top of that. And then the Atlantic Coast pipeline uh, went kaput. Uh, because it just it faced too many obstacles in court. So uh, um, this is from the News and Observer article, a pair of efforts to build new pipelines in the state faced stiff challenges in recent years. Dominion and Duke Energy canceled the Atlantic Coast Pipeline project that would have spanned much of eastern North Carolina amid environmental concerns, legal challenges, mounting costs and prolonged delays. Okay, so that was the Those were the reasons why. And this is, by the way, these challenges come from the left, right? This is not from the right. People on the right are not trying to prevent energy from being moved around via pipeline. They're not. This is all from the left. So when they talk about pipelines not getting built and they talk about us being energy insecure because of it, it is not because of the Republicans, Okay, another pipeline called the MVP Southgate that would have run from Chatham, Virginia, uh, and then gone into North Carolina in Rockingham County would have passed through Alamance County and then ended near Graham. The North Carolina Department of Environmental Quality has twice denied water quality permits. Needed for the project. The last denial came late last month after a federal circuit court sought clarification about the department's position, and DEQ's denial came while the main segment of the Mountain Valley pipeline remains mired in uncertainty. So, this is lawfare. Right. This is constant lawfare. Uh, These environmentalist groups, they sue, they try to block uh, the permitting process. They go to court. It takes a very, very long time, seven years to build one of these pipelines. Right. According to uh, Rusty Harris from Dominion, Um, Senator Paul Newton, a Republican, he uh, pointed out that our growth and prosperity as a state will be constrained if we do not build more natural gas access. And um, finally, hear this from CBS 17 Democrats highlighted the need for policies promoting greater use of renewable energy sources like wind, saying there needs to be a broad approach to diversifying the energy sources on which the state relies, which brings me back to the comment that Harris made there about um, not only more storage facilities, but he also said renewable natural gas. What is renewable natural gas? Glad you asked. You probably know heard of it as like biogas, right? Um, so like... Everybody goes out to eat some really spicy food all on the same night. Then we all gather. And... Okay, no, that's not. <laughs> that is not biogas. Um, no, it is. Although it is kind of related. Okay, it comes from organic waste material like food waste, garden clippings, lawn clippings, animal and plant-based material. Um, what else? Carbon uh, products like paper and cardboard and wood. Uh, and then you can capture this stuff uh, if you can. You know, you capture this stuff and then you can create uh, another energy source. And I think the one of the numbers I saw was about, and this was out of California, they said it could be like 20% of the state's needs or something. What is never mentioned, of course, in any of this is... Nuclear, right, exactly, nuclear, for some reason, (laughs) never gets mentioned in any of these discussions. Um, All right, a couple more audio bites to get to. First, you need to get to uh, Rowena Patton's website, mountainhomehunt.com, and you need to check out uh, the inventory, and if you're thinking about buying or selling, they've got tons of resources there that you can go through, and it helps guide you through these decisions and the questions that you need to be asking yourself. And, uh, you know, if, you, if you're building, they've got a great resource there, questions that you need to be asking yourself and your builder, um, you know, h- how do you figure out the costs of stuff like that? They'll walk you through different processes. But he- here's the deal. If you're trying to sell a house, you want it to sell quickly and you want it to sell for more money. And that's what Rowena and her team do. Okay. Uh, they get your house sold fast and for more money. They have homes in all price points. They've got buyers lined up. So buying or selling, call the only agent that Christy and I called, Rowena Patton. Her number, 333-4483. That's 828-333-4483. The website again is mountainhomehunt.com. Give her a call. Tell her you heard it here and then start packing. So who else was there? David McGowan. He is the Southeast Regional Director of the American Petroleum Institute. He said North Carolina needs access to more energy supply, but efforts to impede infrastructure development has increased the cost. It has uh, exacerbated what he called reliability disparities between different parts of the nation state senator bob steinberg he is a republican from down east and uh, he asked about building new refineries and frankly got a surprising answer
0: with the exception of maybe one or two small uh, topping plants up in uh, in north dakota i believe the most recent refinery greenfield refinery constructed in the united states was in 1978 in, in garyville louisiana
6: uh, can you please uh, project for us what you believe, in a growing economy, uh, and uh, from a security standpoint, what is going to be, what would be the ideal in terms of uh, capitalizing some of these projects and getting them on the boards? And, and uh, if, uh, if that is indeed uh, going to be a problem, is the problem one from environmentalists, or is it, uh, where, where is the pushback coming from?
0: Sure. Thank you, Senator, for the question. I, I think first and foremost, it, it's not necessarily a fuel supply uh, constraint or, or problem in the sense of, as, as Rusty and the other speakers were saying earlier, it's as much about the delivery mechanism for our state specifically. Um, if, you, if you look at our refining capacity in the United States right now, um, it's right size to fit the demand of, of, of the country and, and our, our demand here in the United States.
1: So that's interesting, don't you think? That according to this fellow from the uh, American Petroleum Institute, the Southeast Regional Director, when he's talking about the liquid uh, uh, oil, right, crude and liquid gas, he he says we we have the refining capacity. We don't need to build a new greenfield. He calls them greenfield. So in other words, you know, there's just a big empty field, and you would build something brand new on it. So he says right now we have enough our our capacity is enough to fill the demand Um, today
0: today we don't have a shortage of refineries per se Uh, the challenge is with the takeaway capacity the the infrastructure to get the product from the refineries to the markets where it's being consumed as we've seen here in north carolina recently uh and so it's not so much that we need to build new refineries as much as we need pipelines in the ground to help deliver that product to
6: market. Uh follow-up, Mr. Chairman? Uh, so am I hearing that uh, even with anticipated growth through a growing economy, that uh, the existing infrastructure we have with our refineries, uh, uh, including the natural gas, are, are going to be adequate moving forward? And, and are they indeed in good shape?
0: So I think uh, the the first question, or answer to the first question, is yes. What our existing capacity is adequate for going forward as things stand now? I think one of the things that we're seeing is that rather than building new greenfield refineries, and I think we all can recognize the challenge with a project of that scale and that nature, this day and age, they're adding additional capacity to existing refining infrastructure. Uh, So, while again we may not be building new plants, we're adding on to the existing plants that we have on the liquids refining side. On the natural gas processing side, it's a little different and there are significant new natural gas processing facilities that are coming online, again particularly up in Appalachia, um, in Ohio and Pennsylvania that are serving the Marcellus and the Utica Shale up there. So we are beginning to diversify our natural gas processing infrastructure, whereas Uh, Historically, most of that was located on the Gulf Coast, hence why Transco delivered south to north for most of its history until recently when they were able to to do bidirectional flow. Um, So we are seeing more processing capacity on the natural gas side coming (laughs) online up in the Northeast and the Midwest. Um, but on the refining side, not so much. Again, they're adding on to existing facilities rather than building new.
1: So adding on to existing facilities versus building new. Why? Well, because it takes a really, 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 really long time to build a refinery because of all the legal challenges that are submitted. And uh, when I tweeted, I was tweeting some of this as it was occurring, uh, as this hearing was occurring. And um, I got a tweet back. So I, I said that this guy says that you know, no, uh, that building new refineries isn't really needed because existing facilities are expanding. The challenge is delivering the product, he said. And I got a tweet back, a reply from uh, a listener, Dean, who said, this is wrong. You don't keep all your eggs in one basket. We've had refineries shut down for varied reasons. We need more refineries throughout the country for energy security. And so I said, I replied back to Dean. I said, well, I'm thinking the guy who represents the industry might have a pretty good read on this situation. He said refineries for oil are expanding, and so no new ones are needed to meet demand. The issue is transport and storage off-site. And then Dean said, if he's talking about expanding existing facilities, then I say he is wrong. We haven't built a new facility in decades, which is what the Petroleum Institute guy said as well. Um, And... Uh, he says that's why we have the pipelines everywhere. If North Carolina had its own refinery, we would only need crude oil shipped because nobody wants to drill off the coast. Uh, give a link to this, and then he gave a link to the uh, a piece in Forbes. A couple things. First, you're going to hear in the answer that uh, Chuck Edwards gets from uh, the American Petroleum Institute guy about why North Carolina faces all the uh, Western North Carolina faces so many disruptions. Um, pipelines move it cheaper than trucks do apparently once you get the infrastructure in place then you're able to move all of the the material right the gas supply you're able to ship it all over the place um, and it's it which makes sense it's passive basically right it's a more passive system and that's going to reduce your costs um, and you're going to hear him mention some of this when he's talking about delivering supplies in times of disruption okay but I did I, I did go to the um Uh, The article that Dean sent me and it is it is interesting. Um, It's written by a guy named David Blackman at Forbes. And the headline is first major new U.S. oil refinery since 1977 targets the Bakken shale crude. Okay, so this is coming out of the shale deposits. And uh, the idea here is they want to build a very small refinery at the site at the Bakken shale deposit. William Prentice is the chairman and CEO of Meridian Energy Group, um, and this interview was conducted in July of 2020. His company had just received word that the North Dakota Supreme Court had upheld the air quality permit that was originally issued in June of 2018. Two years it took. Two years it took just to get a court to approve the air quality permit That was already issued. That enabled MEG, the Meridian Energy Group, to proceed with the building of a new uh, new refinery um, right in the middle of the Bakken Shale play in North Dakota. He goes on to say that the concept behind this refinery is simple. You put it in the middle of a massive oil play area and specialize in processing the grade of crude that comes out of those thousands of wells right there. As simple as it sounds, it represents a pretty radical departure, though, from the U.S. refining business of the 20th century. Quote, the refinery model for most of the last century was to put increasingly complex refining operations down on the Gulf Coast, where you could grab whatever tanker was going by, and you make a buck or two. This is what Prentice, William Prentice, the chairman of Meridian, is saying. And he says, and that was fine. There seemed to be this growing assumption during the middle part of the last century uh, that most of the oil was going to be coming from offshore anyway, so why you know, try to put anything inland? Why even bother? But the shale industry changed all that almost overnight. He says it wasn't too long ago, um, like, two years ago, basically, that one industry leader was quoted as saying that, quote, any additional barrel of shale oil coming online would have to be exported. There was just no refining capacity that could handle the lighter grades of crude. And he says, so our concept is to build refineries that are very capital efficient because they are rifle shot designs that target a local shale resource. And that's it, right? So instead of doing a big refinery with lots of uh, 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 abilities to process different grades and stuff. No, just whatever's coming out of the ground right here. That's what we're building for, right? He says, we'll process that local crude oil, serve that local regional market, and we'll get the crude at a better price and also have lower operating and capital costs per barrel. And you save all the transportation of moving the crude down to the Gulf, and then bringing it back again in the form of a refined product, which really, that does make sense, right? Why would you ship, if you're drawing it out up in North Dakota, you're drawing it out, why send it all the way to the Gulf for uh, refining, and then bring it back to serve (laughs) the area uh, in the form of the finished product? Uh, Seems simple, right? But like most things, (laughs) it is not. I'll get into that in a second. First, you need to get into general equipment rental. Uh, They got a great... Uh, showroom. Their shop is over um, in uh, Weaverville at the intersection of Merriman Avenue and Reams Creek Road. You can check out all the equipment that they've got there for purchase or for renting. Uh, they got big stuff like Earth Mover size pieces of equipment. For like the massive projects, if you're doing uh, contracting work, commercial kind of work, uh, they are your source, okay? They, they specialize in service. They're like, you know, you got the really big uh, construction companies that are out there and they've got, you know, big contracts with these huge guys, whatever. That's not who General Equipment Rental serves. They serve the local guys, uh, you know, the small and medium-sized contractors that you, you don't need to shell out all this money for a piece of equipment that you're going to use maybe once a year. Why would you do that? Just rent it from General Equipment Rental. Uh, And they service what they sell as well. They sell tons of other power equipment and tools. They're your official licensed Husqvarna and Honda outdoor power equipment sales and service provider. Um, And so they can tell you everything about all of these products. They got gas powered, They got battery powered. I picked up a weed eater a couple of weeks ago. I know I don't even have my house yet, but I'm I'm preparing. <laughs> so uh, head on over to General Equipment Rental, generalrents.com is their website, generalrents.com, family-owned and operated for 3 generations, general equipment rental. Think outside your toolbox. So the concept seems simple, right? And if you could do it over a large area, it would help resolve this Uh, growing imbalance, as Forbes describes it, between the U.S. volume of light-sweet crude that's being produced from the big shale deposits and the lack of capacity in the U.S. refining business to process that crude. That imbalance is what created the need to export millions of barrels of domestic crude each day that would then be refined in other countries. Prentice, uh, this William Prentice guy, the chairman and CEO of Meridian Energy Group, uh, he says they hope to target that imbalance with a series of greenfield refineries in the coming years, and that this refinery in the Bakken uh, uh, shale deposit, that that's their, this is their first attempt. Okay, With the permits in place, they're hoping to go to the funding phase of the project now, and he says that they were expecting that to run about six months, and... The satisfying of the considerations applied by financial institutions inevitably complicates any major funding effort in the energy space today, and this refinery effort is no different. But Prentice says he's confident in part because the Davis refinery, the Bakken refinery, uh, makes such a leap in the control of emissions. So they're saying we're making uh, a lot of improvements in the emissions, and so that should uh, help to minimize fears that we're not going to get the approvals. Once the project funding is complete, And they're thinking this would be in 2021. This was last year. This article was from last year. So I'm not even sure they've got their funding lined up for this. Prentice says that the actual construction of the plant will take about three years, allowing America's first new greenfield refinery in almost half a century to kick off operations in early 2024, a dozen years after the planning phase began. Now, okay, maybe future refineries that are built off of this model would go much more smoothly, right? Like that's, that's true. Once you kind of, you know, blueprint, have the blueprints done and everything, it's, it's going to be much more streamlined and faster and cheaper. Okay. But this has taken a dozen years to get done. And that's why refineries keep expanding rather than trying to build new, because this is how long it takes because of all of the regulations, the hoops you got to jump through and the lawsuits and such. Now, keep all of that in mind as we hear this question from uh, State Senator Chuck Edwards from Henderson County, and um, he's asked why we seem to run out of uh, gasoline in Western North Carolina more often than other parts of the state do.
4: I know in the mountains, when we experience a hurricane in the Gulf, uh, we, we're very disrupted with our fuel supply in the mountains. It seems like folks can't find gasoline to uh, power their generators, get to work, and we, we really come to a standstill. Uh, so I was surprised to hear you t- tell Senator Steinberg that we did not have refinery capacity issues if that if that's the case then how do we avoid the the, the supply disruptions in the mountains that i just described to you and it may happen throughout the state There's, i live in the mountains that's where i'm mostly concerned thank you
0: so again senator edwards thank you for the question and i think a lot of it in in the case of the mountains and in the Asheville area it goes back to transportation um and if i could reference back to the EIA slide with the pipeline maps um, as you'll see here the, the primary motor fuel uh, supply complex that serves Western North Carolina uh, is Charlotte and actually Spartanburg South Carolina so a lot of the the gasoline and diesel fuel that is serving the far Western part of North Carolina comes out of Spartanburg, South Carolina, off a colonial system out of Spartanburg and goes up into the far western part of the state. Um, same from Charlotte. And, and as you know and can appreciate, those travel distances are a little bit longer than, say, from Selma to Raleigh to bring product here. Uh, and so that's one of the challenges is that the, just the, the distance from the, the actual terminal tanks that hold the product that's coming in off of Colonial Pipeline.
1: So that's a pretty big deal. The transportation costs from where the storage tanks are. That's why I said the earlier storage. If you expand that now, that can help uh, alleviate some of these disruptions if you have more storage. Uh, But even then, the transportation costs grow the farther away you are, obviously. And we don't have in Western North Carolina, there's really no storage here. It all comes from Charlotte or Spartanburg. So, even in a disrupted state, you're going to have those transportation costs. That's the first issue. Okay. And uh, to go back to listener Dean's point, where he said, look, you just, you know, we need more refineries. You put them down at the coast and you just get the stuff coming in off the coast. Well, that, but that doesn't solve the transport issue, it doesn't solve that concern because if the refining is being done, whether it's in Bakken in North Dakota or if it's down in the Gulf Coast, it's still going to get piped to Charlotte or Spartanburg, right? Unless you're saying build a refinery in Wilmington and then build another pipeline, which now you got to build a refinery that takes a dozen years. You got to build a pipeline that takes seven and we haven't even built any really new ones in a while because they keep getting blocked. So, um, like this is still the challenge uh, for um, uh, for Western North Carolina specifically
0: one of the other challenges that we see out West is there are a lot of spot market buyers uh, the folks that operate own and operate convenience stores out West in the Western part of the state uh, buy their product on the spot market uh, much as Rusty was talking about if they have to go out and contract for excess capacity on transco they're doing that essentially on the spot market they're going to transco and saying we need excess capacity now. Um, a lot of the, the convenience store operators out in the western part of the state, they don't have contracts with branded suppliers. Uh-huh. So they pull a tanker truck up to the terminal and say, I'd like a tanker truck load of fuel. And the terminal operator, it, particularly in disruption events, uh, says, well, I'm obligated to supply the folks that I have contracts with first. Mm-hmm. And if there's fuel available after I've supplied my contracts, then I can sell you a tanker truck load of fuel. And so I think that's one of the challenges that we see in Western North Carolina as well is that you have a lot of people that make a business decision, affirmatively on the front end, that they are not going to contract with a supplier, Mm -hmm. Um, that they are going to take a chance on the open market, so to speak. And so when we do have disruption events, they're the first to see uh, their supplies allocated. And I think that's what generally happens, again, in the Western part of the state, more so... Than in other areas across the state due to the number of spot market buyers who operate in that area.
4: Mr. Chair.
2: Jill, follow
4: up. Uh, and, and, and so you just confirmed that we do have disruption during those times. Yes. Well, what's the answer to avoid the disruption in cases of a natural disaster in the Gulf as we have experienced a number of times in the, in the last few years?
0: Sure, well, and and this is, uh, as this map demonstrates, there are a number of of other contingencies when our primary source of supply does go offline. Um, In in the case of Colonial, if it is Colonial that is offline, then we still have access to product via the plantation pipeline. Uh, Again, a a much smaller amount, but still product flowing. Um, and, And then in addition, the Port of Wilmington becomes an absolutely critical resource for our state during disruption events. Um, And Senator Edwards, there there are likely situations over the last week or so where product was being loaded in the Port of Wilmington and potentially taken all the way up to Asheville or the western part of the state because that is one of, if not the only, secondary source of supply that we have uh, other than pipeline uh, and bringing it in via truck from, from other states. And as you indicated, particularly in a regional supply disruption event, and as Rusty was saying earlier with natural gas too, uh, when, when the colonial system is offline and other states are having disruptions as well, then it makes it harder for us to move product from other states within the region that may have it to, to our state. And so again, that's where the Port of Wilmington is a really, really critical asset for our energy security and reliability here in the state of North Carolina. And I think that's something that uh, all policymakers need to be aware of and, and uh, we ought to consider putting some more thought into as a state.
1: So maybe this is the answer then, as Dean pointed out, more refineries down in Wilmington with pipelines, and we start building out that infrastructure now. David McGowan, that's who you just heard from, the executive director of the North Carolina Petroleum Council, and he's the Southern Regional Director for the American Petroleum Institute. Uh, he also noted in his testimony, the Colonial Pipeline carries about 75% of North Carolina's liquid gas products. Um, and then there's another one, the Products SE Pipeline provides about another 20% of the state's fuel, and the remainder then comes through, so like 5%, comes through terminals near the port of Wilmington. So, I don't know, do you think anything like this changes? <laughs> uh, I'd like to see it, but I'm not holding my breath for it to do so. Um, let me shift gears here. Oh my gosh, yes, I've got this audio, you got to hear this. So first, uh, did you know that Joe Biden gave the commencement address, the graduation speech for the U.S. Coast uh, Coast Guard, the Coasties, uh, gave their their commencement address? And <laughs> Good grief. I want to say he's 78 years old. And this is what he said. This was part of his speech. He was reading off of prepared remarks. And, well, I'll just play it.
7: I can only assume that you will enjoy educating your family about how the Coast Guard is, quote, the hard nucleus around the Navy forms in times of war. You are quite, you're a really dull class. I mean, come on, man, is the sun getting to you? I would think you'd have an opportunity when I say that about the Navy to clap, but being here together. Please clap. Please clap. But all kidding aside, being here together is a victory in and of
1: itself. <laughs> yeah. Now, perhaps the the cadets there, Coastie, uh, cadets, I believe, yeah, uh, perhaps they could be forgiven for not understanding what in the blue blazes you were saying, because you muffed the line that, by the way, you plagiarized. <laughs> From Ronald Reagan, who was 77 when he delivered the line, and here is how it's supposed to sound.
7: My Coast Guard aides have been excellent. One of them taught me that, and I quote, the Coast Guard is that hard nucleus about which the Navy forms in time of war.
1: You understand? The Coast Guard is the hard nucleus, the center, right? That... Uh, about which the Navy forms about which so not like about as in um, you know hey what is this about about which means surrounding they surrounded about it right they formed all around it that's what he's saying it's a knock on the Navy because you know that's what this <laughs> the branches of the service do right they mock each other they, they you know oh you know we're better than you and they make jokes at each other's expense and stuff and so this was this was a, a shot at the navy, a good humored shot delivered by you know Ronald Reagan, which you know nobody could, uh, n- you know nobody would uh, would be mistakenly thinking that Reagan hated the military. So it comes off as good natured, and he's quoting his you know Coast Guard advisor guy, and so the the joke lands, and he also is able to deliver it. He's able to deliver it because well I. I mean, he was an actor, so he was trained (laughs) in delivery. Um, But I suspect it might have something to do with mental faculties, I think. And this is Reagan at age 77. Again, here's the actual line as it's supposed to be delivered. My Coast
7: Guard aides have been excellent. One of them taught me that, and I quote, the Coast Guard is that hard nucleus about which the Navy forms in time of war. (laughs)
1: Haha, we're the hard nucleus and you guys form around us in times of war, right? So that's the joke. And again, here's Biden muffing it. I can only
7: assume that you will enjoy educating your family about how the Coast Guard is, quote, the hard nucleus
1: around the Navy forms in times of war. What? The hard nucleus around the Navy forms in times of war. And then nobody knows what he's saying. Nobody understands what he's trying to convey here they just hear him say something hard nucleus and he says it with a hard nucleus like he over enunciates over over punches the the word and like i'm like have you read this script before maybe he hadn't i don't know um but then he immediately reads the room or in this case the outdoor venue because <laughs> they were outside uh you know separated by 6 feet. so uh, all of the cadets were all spaced out it was kind of a weird Yeah, it was kind of a weird look. Uh, So they're all spaced out six feet apart, and nobody knows what to make of it, and so he immediately turns on them. He gets angry. And again, I am not one of these people who, you know, because I'm not a doctor, obviously, I'm not a medical professional of any kind, but uh, I do remember uh, both of my grandparents coming to live with us, my mom's mom and my dad's dad, when they were very, very old. And uh, my... Uh, And and they were both, you know, highly agitated for different reasons (laughs) at various points. But my dad's dad, grandpa, he got Alzheimer's and uh, he had it when we moved him into the house across the street and, and he would have these bursts of rage that I had never seen before as a kid but maybe he had them and I just never saw them um because he was always a very reserved quiet kind of a guy I mean he was big and rah, 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 kind of gruff like that but he would never he never had the kinds of outbursts that I saw uh him have towards the end and as I understand it that is something that happens again I'm not saying that Joe Biden has Alzheimer's I'm not saying that I'm just noting that The way he turns on the crowd and insults them. And I don't know where that comes from, except, I mean, maybe it's just Joe Biden is a jerk. And look, Joe Biden has been a jerk for a very, very long time. So all the people that were like, oh, he's restoring decency, like this Joe Biden you're talking about, right? Like they're in love with this, this false avatar of who they think Joe Biden Uh, could be or something like, oh, that's just lunch pail Joe, old Uncle Joe. And he's not Joe Biden. Joe Biden was Donald Trump before Trump landed on the scene. He would say the nastiest things towards people. He would cut cut them off and interrupt them and, uh, you know, commandeer debates. Remember the debate with Paul Ryan, uh, where uh, the vice presidential debate? Uh, Romney Ryan versus uh, Obama Biden, and in that debate, he acted like a jerk towards Paul Ryan, and Paul Ryan, you know, played the you know the good guy on the stage. I'm just uh, you know, I'm a, I'm a serious uh, you know Republican lawmaker, and uh, no, I'm not gonna you know I'm not gonna you know be baited into these traps that Joe Biden is doing because the way he turns, I mean, the way he turns, I mean, he he calls them a dull class. What's wrong with you? Like he's mad at them for not getting a joke that he muffed. You are quite, you're a really dull class. I mean, come
7: on, man. Is the sun getting to you? I would think you'd have an opportunity when I say that about the Navy to clap, but being here together...
1: I love the guy laughing. This over, (laughs) you know, who's that guy? (laughs) Who's that guy in the background? (laughs) That's like over laughing and everything. You've seen him in every. He's the character in every one of the (laughs) every movie with some like really scary villain. He's the bootlicker guy. (laughs) That's always like good one, boss. (laughs) He's like the Ed McMahon to Johnny Carson. That's not fair to Ed McMahon. I apologize. That's not fair. It's not fair, but it kind of is. It kind of is. The guy <laughs> he overlaps at the comment. Oh, my goodness. I don't understand it. But uh, I, yeah, maybe some people will take some interest in this. Uh, and can you imagine if this was Donald Trump? I mean, I feel like we say that all the time. Uh, you know, everyone's favorite game. Imagine if Donald Trump did that. My goodness. People would be, uh, he's attacking the military, calling him dull, right? You know, they would. You know, they would get this. A South Carolina school bus driver who kept his cool during an armed hijacking is praising the 18 kids as the real heroes of the high pressure cooker, uh, high pressure encounter. Rather, sorry. This according to Kelly McCarthy story. Good morning, America, as published at WSBTV.com. Kenneth Corbin spoke exclusively to Good Morning America and talked about how he was able to hold off the gunman and what the students said to the man that helped uh, keep them safe for six minutes. Okay, The kids, he says, were the ones that actually got the gentleman off of the bus, and they pretty much had my back as much as my concerns were with them. At the end, when they started questioning him, it seemed to have frustrated him because his main objective Uh, was to get to the next town over. But I think we were only on the road about four miles, and he just got so frustrated with all of the questions that he just told me to stop the bus so he could get off. (laughs) And then he told told everybody, he told all the kids to get off. Police believe Jovan Colazzo, the 23-year-old trainee from New Jersey in his third week at Fort Jackson, appear to be trying to get home. He remains in custody, facing two dozen charges, including 19 counts of kidnapping. As he, uh, as we were traveling, I guess he realized there were several students on the bus kind of scattered around, he said. He decided to move all the students up front so he could keep us all in close proximity. And when he did that, especially some of the kindergartners, <laughs> they start asking all sorts of questions like, Why? 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 They literally drove. him. (laughs) They drove him mad. So he stopped the bus and said, just get off. Enough is enough already. He said enough is enough. Just get off of the bus. They were asking him, why are you doing this? He never did have an answer for that one. Uh, They asked, was he going to hurt them? He said, no. He said, are you going to hurt the bus driver? He says, no, I'm going to put you off the bus. He sensed more questions were coming. I guess something clicked in his mind and he said enough is enough already. Stop the bus. Just get off. Corbin was trained. The bus driver was trained to handle a hostage situation, said he initially uh, pushed his hands out to signify to the man that he was not allowed on the bus. He said I had to tell him twice. And when I told him that, that's when he presented his weapon. So all to just get across town. Now you're going to be going to federal prison. Good job, trainee. That's a wrap for the episode. Thanks for listening. I appreciate it. Remember, subscribe at thepeakcalendarshow.com. Don't break anything while I'm gone.